great old hymn. Say old means comparatively young in uh, gospel terms, but uh, quite an ancient one to uh, to you and I. But uh, great, great words. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision or ruler of all. We're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He dominates the whole Bible, particularly revealed in the Gospels. And here we are in Luke's Gospel, and we're looking at something that Jesus Christ did for you and for me. This is relevant to you and to me right now, because what Jesus went through here in this battle with uh, the devil, uh, he did for you and me. Our first forefather, Adam, did battle with the serpent, and he lost And his defeat was our defeat. But this second, this last Adam, Jesus Christ, he stands and he is victorious. And his victory can be ours when we come to trust in him. Our default position is we are in Adam. And we have the defeat and the demerit and the death that he brought on all mankind But God in his mercy sends Jesus and he stands in the battle and he brings life to all who will trust in him. So 40 days Jesus Christ is in the wilderness. He spends that time fasting. He's doing without not only food, he's got no internet, no iPad, no Instagram, uh, no Facebook. There's nothing, whatever uh, the modern times had then, uh, he didn't have. He denies himself all physical pleasures. Uh, he is physically weak at the end of these 40 days, but my, he is spiritually strong in his soul. And the devil comes to him. If, if. The father said to Jesus, you are my son. The devil comes if you are the son of God. Remember, Jesus makes no engagement with the ifs. He leaves that well alone. But the devil tempts him. If you are the Son of God, make this stone to become bread. You are obviously hungry. Use your innate powers as the eternal Son of God to help yourself in your weak humanity and and to do it quickly. Now, a quick fix. Rather than Jesus having to do what you and I ought to do, and here's the pattern he sets for us, whatever our situation Not to go for the quick fix, not to look to work it all out for ourselves, but to trust in God's providence and to know the Bible and to apply it. So Jesus does just that. It is written. Remember, he uses the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, uh, to answer Satan. Satan isn't uh, totally confounded. He comes back with this second temptation verses 5 through to 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What a display. That's the first thing I want to say uh, about this. The display. He showed him all the kingdoms and the glory of the world in a moment of time. He took him up to a high place. And wow, what must Jesus Christ have seen at that point? The devil took him up in a moment of time 
uh, he saw all this packed into a moment of time was the dazzling display of worldly splendor, riches, beauty, <clears throat> opulence, power, majesty, might, glory. I caught a glimpse of a program on TV this week, uh, something of uh, top hotels in, in the world, and there was one in, uh, in, in some part of China. It, it was just astonishing the opulence and the splendor and the glory. Remember, Jesus is fully man as well as fully God, and he's in the desert dust. He's got the jackals and the vultures, and he's hungry. And the devil took him up. What do we make of that? The devil took him up. What exactly happened here? Was he taken physically someplace and set up and he saw all the splendor of the world? Well, the world is a globe, so if he's in the northern hemisphere, he can't see the southern hemisphere. Some take this to be what can happen to you and me sometimes, on occasions, maybe all too often. We're taken up with thoughts and things fill our minds. Was he physically taken somewhere or was it a vision? John Calvin's got a good quotation here. It's worth quoting it. It is asked, was he, Jesus, actually carried to an elevated spot or was it done in a vision? What is added that all the kingdoms of the world were exposed to Christ's view in one moment, agrees better with the idea of a vision than with any other theory. Now listen to this. In a matter that is doubtful, was it a vision, was it physical, and where ignorance brings no risk, does it really matter whether it was physical or a vision? I choose rather to suspend my judgment than to furnish contentious people with an excuse for debate. Now, the last thing we want from this morning's sermon, what the devil will be thrilled with, is you going home and having a debate. What do you think? Was it physical or was it just a vision? And you're sidetracked down some fanciful thoughts. Well, no, it's of no risk whether you're wrong one way or the other. The fact is the temptation was powerful and it was real. Now, the, there's, there's the... There's the matter, there's the, the vision that comes to him, there's the display. Now the offer the devil makes, he pulls out all the stops with Jesus Christ. Remember it's Jesus' humanity that's being tempted here. You cannot tempt God and yet, here's the mystery, he really is one person, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, but he really is a man. As evangelicals we can lose touch with that. We're big on his deity. And that's a reaction against many who say, well, he wasn't really God, he's just a man. But then we can belittle his humanity. He really was a man. And this was a powerful temptation. And uh, the offer is a powerful one. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Now, here's a question we, we will look at. What was it his to offer? Was it the devil's to offer? 
he makes the claim, does the devil, all the world's been given to me and I can give it to whomever I will. Now, is, is, is he right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, he's known as the God of this world. In Ephesians 2 and verse 3, he's the prince of the power of the air. In John 12, 31, 14, 31, John 5, 19, he's known as the ruler of this world. And yet, here is the devil speaking and addressing Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one speaking in Genesis chapter 1. Remember the devil saying, it's all mine, I can give it to who I will. You just bow down to me and I'll give it to you. Who's he speaking to? The creator. I made it, Jesus can say. I'm the one speaking in Genesis chapter 1. In Proverbs 8, Jesus speaking. I was the craftsman at his side as he laid the foundations of the world. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all who dwell therein. For he founded it. He made it. He is the creator. Psalm 2 is interesting. The father addressing the son. Sit here while I make the nations your inheritance. So what's happening here? Hmm. Why has Jesus come into the world? Why has Jesus come into the world? We could answer that in many ways, but John puts it this way. 1 John 3 and verse 8. Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. The devil's doing something in the world. And Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. There's more insight given here in Mark chapter 3. Let me read from verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He, that's Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he, that's Jesus, called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder, plunder his goods, Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. What has Jesus come to do? He's come to bind the strong man, Satan. He's come to plunder his goods. You and me, we're the ones that Satan can hang on to. Yes, Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, but we messed up in Adam in the Garden of Eden and we're born with inherent sin and we carry on sinning. Our basic problem is that we are sinners. We're born with a problem and because of that problem we commit sins. Sins are only a manifestation of what we, we are and we are sinking 
into the pit of destruction along with the devil and his angels because of sin. But, now listen, Calvary changes everything. Calvary changes everything. Satan hung on to his goods in peace. And Satan ran riot with the nations. It was only Israel in Old Testament times that had the eternal light shining and they were meant to be a light to the nations but became proud and arrogant. Look at what we've got. But they're always meant to be a light to the nations but the nations are being deceived by the devil and held in deep darkness. Let me read. It's not a controversial passage. It really is pretty, pretty plain and straightforward. It's put in picture form. Revelation 20, 1 to 3, give us a sweeping view of the gospel age. And they tell us what happened to Satan at Calvary. And they tell us, these verses, what's happening here and now and what's not happening here and now. And it's packed into three verses. Quite remarkable. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Satan holding sway, deceiving the nations. There's a light in Israel. They're meant to be a light to the nations. They keep it pretty much to themselves. Calvary happens. Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Symbolically at that point, Satan is bound and chained and thrown into a pit that's sealed over for a thousand years. The thousand years is symbolic of the gospel age. And what can Satan no longer do? Thank God he can no longer deceive the nations. And the light has gone into the whole world. And so 2,000 miles away from Israel, I can stand here and preach the eternal gospel. It's being preached in America, Africa, Korea, China, uh, Myanmar. It's being preached the whole world over. Why? Because he's been bound for a 1,000 years. And his goods are being plundered. And I was plundered in August 1976. My friend, when were you plundered from his stronghold? And only possible because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. Of course, towards the end, there's a little hint here. Towards the end, he's going to have another little mini-season. What devastation will that cause and what persecutions might come? And how do we tie that in with what I'm saying about Israel on Sunday nights? And we're coming to that climactic verse tonight. And so all Israel will be saved. And that's because Jesus was victorious on Calvary. But that's for five o'clock this evening. Because of what Jesus Christ did at the resurrection, he can say, all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make the gospel known to all Nations. Philippians 2, because he humbled himself, 
even to death on the cross. Therefore, he has been highly exalted. What has Jesus done? He's disarmed the strong man. And his accusations against you and me can no longer stick. Call yourself a Christian. We thought about this last Sunday. I don't call myself a Christian. He calls me a Christian. And I stand not in my own merits, but in the merits of Jesus Christ. Oh, he has been bound. He deceived the nations no longer. Was it his to offer? Oh, if Satan could have distracted Jesus Christ, he goes for his weak humanity, and yet he doesn't sin. He wants to distract him. He wants to dazzle him. He offers him the world, but the world is not enough. He cannot tempt Jesus Christ. How about you and me? <clears throat> the Bible's littered with failures and wreckage of uh, men who once ran well. Achan was at the Battle of Jericho. Don't touch any of the goods he puts in his own tent. I'll tell you what he puts in his own tent. I read it again this morning. He saw a beautiful cloak from Shinar and some gold and some silver. And so despite the ban, he took the beautiful cloak. Maybe it was a lovely leather jacket he'd been fancying for quite some time. He took it and he buried it in his tent. And the army knew a great defeat. And Achan is judged. Gehazi, remember him? Elisha's servant, Elisha heals Naaman from his leprosy. And uh, Naaman's so grateful. Oh, what can I give you? Keep your goods for yourself. I will take nothing from you. But his servant Gehazi runs after Naaman. Oh, and he gives a lie. Uh, we've had some prophets come and they haven't got any clothes. They need a couple, kind of a couple of sets of clothes and a bit of silver for them. Of course, says Naaman. And uh, again, dazzled clothing, clothing. You know, the, who's that designer label? You've got to have the latest labels and, and things. Is that important? Or a little Primark. Don't, don't, Peacock's Primark. It's uh, Asda George. Um, what, what labels really... Uh, but Gehazi, no, he's got to have these things. And uh, he gets the leprosy that had left Laman. Demas, a servant of the living God, and uh, ran well for quite some time with Paul. Interestingly, the name Demas means popular. Hey, Mr. Popular, he was a likable character. Uh, all round Demas's house, and uh, a popular guy, but... Um, no, Paul records, he, he loved this present world and he's left me. He's left me. What about you and me? What, what price would the devil have to offer? See, for Gehazi, a couple of changes of clothes. Jesus, the world is not enough. Gehazi, a couple of changes of clothes and some silver. Um, Achan, a wedge of gold, a bit of silver and a beautiful cloak. Demas, well, maybe it's a little holiday home. Uh, somewhere that, that he will have. What, what's your price? Do read again Pilgrim's Progress. We're always passing through Vanity Fair. It's there this afternoon, it's there tomorrow, and the stalls on either side of the road. One of my, the most telling characters in Vanity Fair, and it comes in part two, is Madame Bubble. And she stands on a street corner 
And Bunyan records many young men were lost going down to her house. But what a description of the world. Bubble. Madam Bubble. Take her, bursts, left with nothing, regret, the world, the flesh, the devil. Let me take you to the richest man in the world. It's not uh, George Soros, it's not Bezos, it's not Gates, it's not Zuckerberg. You find him in the Old Testament and uh, his name is Solomon. It's calculated that uh, his wealth far outweighed the wealth of any of these modern billionaires. Here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was a vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guided me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven. During the few days of their life, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I've made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of trees. I made for myself pools from, from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Now, I didn't have the latest... Uh, um, music systems, he had the live performers. I got the top singers. Pavarotti was, was mine. Whatever your taste in music might be, I bought him and he sang in my presence. And many concubines, we know he had a thousand wives, the delight of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun empty he had it all the price the devil tells Jesus what the price is it's a very simple one here's what he had to do it's all Jesus had to do just a nod in his direction just acknowledge me Jesus and all this will be yours sell your soul Jesus get glory now Easy power, bypass the horror of the cross. You worship me. You give me a nod, genuflection. It's all I want. So simple, isn't it? You and I could pay that price, just a nod. Just give him, give him your heart. Give him your heart. Bypass all the horrors of this narrow Christian life. And all the world will be yours. Now listen, he's selling Jesus what Jesus had already. He is the king of the universe. 
He sells to Adam and Eve what they had already. You'll be like God. They were like God already. Us. He comes to us. What will he offer to you today? Don't sell. The world is not enough. The reply from Jesus in conclusion is wonderful. We used the spin bowler analogy last week and uh, this ball from the devil is right on the wickets. Will it spin right, left? Will it go high? Will it stay low? Will it skid on? But it's on target. He must play the ball, must Jesus. Is he going to go forward and smother the spin? Will he step back? It's a powerful temptation. Jesus' response, simple, clear, and accurate. It is written. He uses the Bible. Let's emphasize it again. You need to know the Bible well. Two services on a Sunday, it's not a lot. I mean, how many pro box sets have you watched recently? Jill and I are just loving box sets and uh, we've done all sorts of these crime drama series. Time for them. Time for two services. Time for a midweek. We've got time for a, a, a midweek. Have we got time for fellowship together? Time to read your Bible day by day. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is our only attack weapon. And Jesus uses the word of God. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I bow only to the living God. To do his will is my desire, whatever the cost might be to me here and now. However hard that might be, I will follow after him. So let's conclude for ourselves this morning, us. Now listen now, for me, for you, the devil will make constant offers. Jesus is very clear. He says to you again this morning, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? One of the most graphic things I ever heard, and I've repeated it a few times, was um, at the millennium, 1000 AD, not 2000, 1000 AD, the then Emperor Otto opened up the tomb of Shalaman, who died 150 years previously. And Shalaman was buried in all his regalia, sat on a throne with a Bible open on his lap and a finger pointing at Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when they opened up the tomb, Shalaman was still there in all his regalia, of course, just a skeleton now, but the bony finger still pointing at. Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world as Shalaman did and yet lose his soul. Set the Lord always before you. Worship and serve only him. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your salvation. And let me conclude this service with that second most wonderful statement I've ever heard in 45 years as a Christian from Ignatius. Ignatius, in the second century, wrote this, let none but Christ dazzle you. And going back to the hymn we have before the sermon, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you. 
this brief time in your word. We thank you for the gospel. Pray we'd embrace it, perhaps for the first time this morning, to see that Jesus died for my sins. What a relief to know I'm forgiven. If we are forgiven, help us to stay close to Jesus and to keep him as our vision. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen.